I don't know about you, but at moments all throughout 2020, I have felt uh, a variety of emotions, uh, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, inundated, uh, one of my favorite words, deluged, just overwhelmed with all the things that are coming at me, things that are coming at you. So this week, I, I took some time and I started digging in, looking for some research to try to say, is this just 2020 or is this part of a larger experience? And, and what I found really was, was convicting and compelling for me as, as I think about and try to help you think about really listening to the voice of Jesus in our lives and all the things that get in the way. I discovered this week that on average, each of us are inundated with six to 10,000 ads per day. In all the different mediums and environments we're in, six to 10,000 ads trying to sow discontentment in our hearts and motivate us to make purchases in light of that discontentment. If you're involved in business in the world today, the study that I read said that you receive on average 150 emails per day. This is the reason why when you go on vacation, it literally feels like you've returned to a thousand emails because you have. The average American sends and receives 94 texts per day. You probably received a couple while we've been in a service already this morning. But it, for those of you who've, who've been around the block for a little bit and, have, and are a little bit older in years and can recall a different era before all of these pieces of technology, you may go, man, it feels like there's just so much more information coming at me. And you're right, there is. Today, we are exposed to five times as much information per day as we were per day in 1986. In 24 years— We've 5X'd the amount of information that's coming at us. And, and while the fashion has, thank God, changed from the du- double-collared shirts, this increase in information is leaving us feeling overwhelmed. But maybe the most staggering piece of data that I found was this one. Today, we are exposed to as much information in a day as someone in the 1400s was in a lifetime. The amount of information you're getting that I'm getting in a given day was the same amount of information that someone would process through 600 years ago in their whole life. And this is the reason why I think that we feel overwhelmed, exhausted, anxious, stressed, inundated, because the the volume of information and, and the volume of noise all around us keeps us from hearing clearly the voice of God. A couple weeks ago when he was here with us, Carlos Whitaker said this. He said, when we lower the volume of life, the volume of God goes up. And that's been one of our themes throughout this year is looking where we can to lower the volume of our lives so that we can hear from God clearly. And I'd encourage you if you would add Carlos's name to your prayer list. He was here with us two weeks ago, and we learned yesterday that Carlos has been diagnosed with COVID-19. He believes that he got it during a trip this past week. And so we're praying for him and for his recovery. Today, we are in week two of a series called What If Jesus Was Serious?, 
We're working our way through the most well-known message that Jesus ever declared. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Bible, and it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And what we talked about last week in week one is that many times when we get to a section of scripture that makes us uncomfortable, that challenges our biases, that confronts our idols, that pushes us in a new way, our tendency is to go, well, Jesus wasn't really serious. And so I don't have to do that. But we're saying, hey, the question What if Jesus was serious? If we are his followers, the only way to faithfully answer that question is yes, and then work through the consequences. And so each day in this series, we're encouraging you, we're inviting you to marinate in this text and continue to allow God to use it in your life. And you can do that by following our daily reading plan. Each day, we're reading a chunk of this Uh, passage each week, and we're continuing to return to it. So if you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 last week, awesome. We'd encourage you to start again today. You could change translations. I read in the Christian Standard Bible last week. I'm going to jump into the message starting today. I'm going to go to the English Standard Version next week. But if you want a copy of this, this is a a screensaver for your phone. You can go to prescottcornerstone.com slash Jesus hyphen is hyphen serious and get this download along with other resources. Our hope in this series, as Clovis mentioned, in these really challenging and difficult times is to do two things. In the words of Finley Peter Dunn, we want to comfort the afflicted and we're praying that God would afflict the comfortable. Some of us have felt so overwhelmed and like we're about ready to tap out on 2020. And for those people, we're praying that God provides comfort. But for those of us who've gotten comfortable in our relationship with God and have gotten overly comfortable with the way that we read scripture even, we're asking God to afflict us, to disturb us, to throw things up in the air so that he can speak with new power and new insight. So today, starting in week two of this series, here's where we're going to begin with our big idea. Our big idea is this, that kingdom people change their world in Jesus's name. Kingdom people change their world in Jesus's name. Now those two blanks, kingdom people, that concept comes from week one in this series. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heavens was the most talked about, repeated subject of Jesus's teaching. In, in just the gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about it 55 times. In all four gospels, over 120 times, Jesus talks about his kingdom. And his kingdom is his reign and his rule. It's the places where what God wants done is done. And Jesus, in delivering this message, the Sermon on the Mount, and all of his teaching is declaring that his reign and rule in someone's life is available through a relationship with Jesus, that when we begin a relationship with Jesus, we can become a part of what God is doing to make all things new in the world and to bring his total reign and rule on earth. 
And these people that Jesus is talking about and talking to are the subject of the next section of Matthew 5 we're going to cover in this series. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on and go to Matthew 5, 13 through 20. If you don't have a Bible and you're here today, I'm so excited. If you have a phone with internet access or a computer, you can just type in this exact reference to Google and you will find the text and you can follow along with us. Today, we're going to look at four qualities of kingdom people. Who are these people who change their world in Jesus's name? And the first quality we're going to learn about is this. Number one, the identity of kingdom people is unbelievable. The identity, who these people are, is unbelievable. Now, the reason that you and I are here today in 2020 as followers of Jesus or participants in his church or people who are exploring the teaching of Jesus, the reason that you're here is that the message of Jesus has been passed on across two millennia. And if you were Jesus 2,000 years ago in the past, and you, you couldn't send an email, you couldn't make a Facebook post, you couldn't put a video up on YouTube, and you had to pass something on, you had to use people. Well, you and I might think, hey, if I'm going to take this message that's supposed to change the world, then I should choose a certain kind of people. If you wanted to take this message into the people who were changing the way the world was thinking, then you would go to Athens because Athens was the center in the day of Jesus of intellectual life in the world. It was the center of the intellectual elites. If you wanted to change the way the world thought about power, you would go to Rome because Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire, which was ruling most of the known world in the day of Jesus. And if you wanted to change the way that people in Jesus's corner of the world thought about faith, then you would go to Jerusalem where the temple was, the center of the Jewish faith. But Jesus delivers his most well-known and significant teaching, not in Athens, not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. And you say, Scott, what was Galilee known for? Nothing. Galilee was the center of nothing. In fact, when people discovered that Jesus was from Nazareth, a city in the region of Galilee, one person recorded in scripture remarks, Nazareth? Galilee? Can anything good come from there? And that was the view of the people who were sitting there listening to this teaching from Jesus. They were not the kind of people that you and I might have chosen to take the message of Jesus around the world to change the world. But they were the people that Jesus saw as people who could become a part of his kingdom and could advance his kingdom. And that's because of a very important truth I want to share with you today. That when God looks at you, what he sees when he looks at you is different than what you see. What God sees when he looks at you is different than what you see. We look at ourselves and we go, you know what, Scott, those people in Athens, I don't have a brain like that. I don't have a degree or training like that. Those people in Rome, I'm not a political power. I'm not a politician. 
You know, I don't even know a whole lot about, about faith or the Bible. I'm new at this. I, I don't have degrees like you do. God couldn't use me. Maybe I have things in my past that dis, I think disqualify me or weaknesses or hangups that hold me back. The thing is, all of those things, all of those excuses and reasons are what we see when we look in the mirror at ourselves. But what God sees when he looks at you is different than what you see because he's looking at you through a different lens. And the Apostle Paul describes this lens in his letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter, in fact. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Paul is saying, hey, we, when Jesus came, evaluated him from our lens but that was flawed and we no longer see him according to our lens. We see him according to his lens. And we should take the same lens to look at ourselves and others. That if anyone connects in a relationship with Jesus, that person is a new creation. They're a brand new being. The old has passed away and the new has come. Paul expounds on this new way of seeing in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Think about Athens, think about Rome, think about Jerusalem. He says here, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has shown what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so if you go, Scott, I'm not particularly strong. I'm not particularly wise. I didn't come from this incredible background. I don't have this awesome resume or pedigree. I, I don't have all the answers. I'm new at this. You are exactly the kind of person that God wants to use. And God sees in you what you don't see in yourself because God sees in you who you are if you connect in a relationship with Jesus. And he's trying to say to these people, in you is Jesus. And through you, Jesus can change the world. This is why one of the marked qualities of Jesus' followers from the day of Jesus to today is humility. Because we recognize that all these things that God sees in us are not from ourselves. They're because of him. This is why as long as there's been followers of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus have pointed us away from pride and towards humility. Carla Henry says this, can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? Yes, we can be confident. Yes, we should be bold in our calling, but we're not arrogant because we know the standing we have and the place in we have is not because of us. It's because of what Jesus did on our behalf. That's the first quality of kingdom people, that their identity is unbelievable, 
The second quality is that the influence of kingdom people is undeniable. The influence that kingdom people have on the earth is undeniable. And what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to use two images to describe the influence and then the impact of his kingdom people. And the first image he's going to use is common everyday salt. This is salt. And it was as common and well-known in the day of Jesus as it is in ours today. And here's what Jesus says about his kingdom people and salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I brought some salt with me for my message today. It's your everyday Morton's iodized salt. And in the day of Jesus, they used salt for the same purposes and the same reason as we did, to be able to change and impact the flavor of their food. Now, we've learned since then that there is a place where too much salt is in your diet, and it can have negative impacts. But salt has the ability to improve the taste of the food. But in the day of Jesus, salt was not only used to flavor the food and to improve the taste of the food, salt was used to preserve the food. They didn't have the ability to throw it in a refrigerator. They didn't have the ability to throw it in a freezer. And so salt was added to meat and other food that would decay and go bad to extend the life of that food so that it was actually good to be eaten by people. In fact, the word that we use, salary, you know, that wage you get from your job, has its root in the day of Jesus when Roman soldiers were given financial pay in terms of coins and an allowance of salt for these purposes. This is where the phrase, he's not worth his weight in salt comes from. That was a soldier who wasn't worth the salt he was getting. And that's where they get the term salary. So if you win Trivial Pursuit for that, please give your pastor some credit for that. But this is the salt that Jesus is talking about. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. That's who we are. But in this passage we begin to get some senses of the ways in which this calling can go wrong. And there's three that I'm going to give you here today. Three warnings about being salt. The first one is this. The danger for us is that the salt would stay in the shaker. See, salt transforms meat or some other piece of food when it leaves the salt shaker behind. In this salt shaker, the salt doesn't do much. And the temptation for Jesus's followers today, probably was back then, is that our temptation is just to stay in our holy huddle. So much of my experience and even some data I've seen shows that the longer someone follows Jesus, the less they are relationally connected to people who aren't. And so if you and I are the salt of the earth, Jesus is explicitly saying we are not the salt of the shaker. Part of the reason that that we do for Prescott Month is, yes, to have a tangible impact in our community and to increase the opportunities we have there. But it's also for many of you who are in the shaker to get out of the shaker and to touch the world and have opportunities to build what could be ongoing relationships. 
at Cornerstone, we emphasize four things. Gathering in worship, connecting in a group, serving where you're gifted, and engaging your circle. You are in relationships with people. They're not close to me. (laughs) They're not particularly close to God, but they're close to you, and God's put you in their life strategically and supernaturally. You're there on purpose and for a purpose to be salt. And so beware that you're just only around people who share your faith. Make sure that you are being salt where salt changes things. The second danger is that the salt is not distinct. If you have your Bible open there in in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, what happens if salt loses its flavor? It can't be made salty again. And we know from modern science that salt loses its flavor when it is diluted by water or when it changes its elemental nature. It literally stops being salt because of exposure. It changes to some some other compound entirely. And Jesus is indicating from the jump that we who are salt can stop being distinct. We can lose our saltiness. How does that happen? We compromise our character. We care more about being liked and accepted, and we think that if we're distinct, we'll be rejected. So maybe we don't hold to something that Scripture teaches that's not popular. Maybe we don't stand in some place because we think the reaction we get won't be great. Maybe we leave behind a piece of our faith that isn't really uh, tenable or acceptable or popular to those around us. And the challenge here, Jesus is saying, is that salt that has lost its saltiness is not good for anything. It's to be tossed out and walked on the ground. There's a third temptation that I think is relevant today in our world. And it's this, that we would be salty in our attitude and not our character. Have you ever oversalted a piece of meat before? You feel terrible because you literally can't enjoy it. I have oversalted steaks to the point that I couldn't eat them. The salt was too much. It prevented me from experiencing the actual thing it was supposed to flavor. And for many of us, our problem is not that we're salt. Our problem is that we're salty. When people encounter us, our attitudes or our words in person or online— They have a hard time getting to Jesus because our attitude is so salty. Honestly, in a a given day, as I scroll through my feeds, some of the saltiest, meanest, at times most judgmental and harshest comments I see come from people who have the word Jesus in their bio. Jesus called us to be salt. He said, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you're the saltiest person on earth. And there's a big difference. Number three, the third quality Jesus talks about here is the impact of kingdom people. He says the impact of kingdom people is unavoidable. I mentioned Jesus uses two images in this text. The first one is salt. The second one is light. And in the day of Jesus, they didn't have spotlights like this one, but they had torches. They had fires, and they had candles, and that's how they had light in the darkness. And Jesus draws on that here in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. He goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others, 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I brought a lamp from home here, and uh, this lamp doesn't make a huge difference here in this room when I turn it on, because this room is well lit. But if we turned off every light in this room, this light would transform the darkness. If you've ever been somewhere where the power went out, it's amazing how one little light, uh, a flashlight, uh, a candle, (laughs) the flashlight app on your phone, can transform that darkness from something that is an obstacle to something you can navigate through. From something that that might hurt you, like my living room, when my children leave their landmines known as Legos and Pokemon in there. And one simple light, even this light, which sits in my living room, can guide me through it unharmed. The one thing that light doesn't do is that light doesn't get shocked by darkness. If these lights could talk, and they can't, none of them would be shocked by the fact that there is darkness in the world. That's the reason we have light. And yet I meet so many followers of Jesus and at times myself who are shocked when we encounter darkness in the world or when the darkness seems to be getting more intense. Friends, light isn't shocked by darkness. Light knows the reason it exists is because there's darkness out there. And when the world gets darker, our calling becomes more essential. And so if right now you're looking at the world or your corner of the world or some things about the world that you have a long experience with and you go, man, the world is getting darker. Things are getting worse. The challenges are becoming greater. Those things could all be true. And I'm not going to argue you with them. But here's what I'm going to say. If that's the case, our calling just became more essential. Our impact and our influence has more potential impact and has more potential significance. The things God's called us to do and be, they matter even more. In a world that's decaying, salt can play a huge role. In a world that's getting darker, light can play a huge role. So we can spend our time bemoaning the decay. We can spend our time bemoaning the darkness or we can embrace that God has chosen in his divine will to put us right here, right now for such a time as this. And he has called us and equipped us to be salt. He has called us and equipped us to be light. And it's a challenging calling, but it is one that he promises to walk through with us. And here's what Jesus promises. He says, So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus knew that we would be placed in a challenging time because the time that his followers lived in The people who were listening to him, he knew they were going to be persecuted. He knew there was going to be darkness that they were going to face. He knew there were going to be things that they were going to take a stand on. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Shine your light. And then he says the purpose of all this. And I love what what Sky Jathani, who we told his story last week, he was the pastor who gave the message on the Sermon on the Mount and people in his church said Jesus wasn't serious. That's where we got the title of the series from. He created this awesome quadrant chart where he talks about 
the opportunity and purpose for us being salt and light. He said, some of us settle to be salt or light in places where we look good and we get the benefit. That, that, that's really narcissistic and selfish. There's other places where, where we benefit others and we can progress there, but it's still us who is looking good. So there's other places where we, we do things where God looks good, but the benefit really comes to us in a selfish way. Or there are things that we do that benefit others and God looks good. And that's what this is all about. Jesus says, shine your light in such a way that others would see your good works, that they would benefit from them and you would give glory to God in heaven. Friends, we are not here to preach ourselves. I am not here to preach myself. I am not the savior of the world. You are not the savior of the world. We are not the savior of the world. We are to point through being salt. We are to point through being light to the one who saved the world. We aren't the hope of the world. We are to share the hope of the world and point people to him. Fourth and final quality is this. The internal righteousness of kingdom people is unexpected. The people that Jesus was speaking to, if you asked them to name three adjectives to describe themselves, I doubt that any of them would have picked the word righteous. If I asked you to pick three adjectives to describe yourself to the people you are watching this with, I doubt you would choose the word righteous because some of you are watching it with your family. They know better. But righteousness is where Jesus goes before he finishes in this section we're going to look at today. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. He says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. In the day of Jesus, the most righteous people was a religious group known as the Pharisees. By the day of Jesus, they were the most externally righteous people. In his day, you weren't going to get more externally righteous than the Pharisees. They had taken the law of Moses and codified it into 613 laws that they memorized and fulfilled. They carried them out every single day. Now, I know you're thinking, Scott, I'm not sure I could remember 613 laws, much less keep them. Hey, me too. Totally get it. And Jesus says, unless you're going to exceed their righteousness, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven based upon your righteousness. He goes on to say, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, I wouldn't encourage you to change one dot on an I or one stroke on a letter that makes a P and R or the equivalent in Hebrew. I'm not here to abolish the law. He says, I'm here to fulfill it. And what Jesus is going to do in the years to come after this message is he is going to perfectly keep every dot and line of the law. 
He is going to perfectly carry out all of it. He is going to be righteous based upon the law, living a sinless and perfect life. So that when he goes to the cross and he's crucified, he dies as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He does what we could never do to free us from having to be perfect anymore. And in him, we gain access to a righteousness that we could never have ourselves. Paul describes this in Romans 3. He says, For no one will be justified in his, that's God's sight, by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. When you read 613 laws, you know what you discover? That you are incapable of keeping them. But Paul continues, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Every person in his audience that day and every person listening to me today, based upon where you came from, the power you have, the strengths, the weaknesses, the wisdom, the foolishness, everyone has access to the righteousness of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be considered righteous, even though you know in and of yourselves you're not. And I just want to encourage you, Jesus' teaching has gotten twisted in this area. Jesus is not anti-righteousness. He's against self-righteousness. Jesus is not about us living carefree, whatever, who cares, anything goes lives. He's not anti-righteousness. He's against self-righteousness. And this is why he went after the Pharisees harder and more harshly than any other group, because they looked at their actions, they saw themselves as righteous, and they lifted up themselves in their own eyes as if they were something to boast or praise in themselves about. And they missed the message of Jesus because they thought Jesus was really about those external righteousness things. And he comes to them and says, guys, you look like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, it's like rotting death. Jesus was about heart transformation, not behavior modification. And Jesus knew that if he got a hold of a human heart, that heart would become a new creation and what was old would be made new. He didn't see people based upon their external behavior. He saw people based upon what he knew he could do in a human heart. And that's why when he taught this message and spoke to these kingdom people, he knew these people could change the world in Jesus's name. Because in Jesus's name, they could move from death to life, from unrighteousness to righteous. And that is the good news he came to bring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the way we see ourselves isn't totality of how you see us. We thank you that there are things that we can't even imagine that you see in us and you want to show us. We know that for so many of us, we have disqualified ourselves from being used by you. We've disqualified ourselves from even being accepted by you. And we just pray that today, 
we would shift from making our understanding and our view ultimate and that we would become open to trusting and believing and accepting that you see something in us that we can't even see in ourselves. Jesus, we live in a dark, a broken, a decaying world. And and if we are offering the world hope in us, we need a greater hope. If we're offering the world salvation, that if they'll just become like us, the world will be better. We need a new message of hope from the world. We're not salt and light so that people will think that we are great and look at us. We are salt and light so that people will look to you. And I just pray that you would help us to remember for those of us who have a relationship with you, where we were when you found us, what it is that you have done in us. And as we engage people, I pray that we would see and believe that you can do the same thing in them. If you're watching today and and you just found this video, somebody forwarded it to you or you were doing a search online, I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe that there is a God who sent his son so that your unrighteousness could be replaced with the righteousness of God. That your foolishness and your weakness could be replaced with God's wisdom and his strength. That you, your dark and checkered past could become a bright and hopeful future. And that's possible through a relationship with Jesus, which you could start right now. By praying a prayer not unlike this. Jesus, I need you. I've made a mess of my life. I want a relationship with you. I give you my my sinful, broken, checkered past. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? Would you make me new? I want to follow you and be used by you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you made that decision today, we would love to celebrate with you. You could text us and share the decision with us in a really simple way. Just text the word Jesus to 928-288-5490. 928-288-5490. Our team is standing by. They'd love to come alongside you and encourage you and celebrate with you. You, you have next steps for us, so go ahead do, and tell us. I do, yeah. So I got three today, and, and they're really all to help us kind of lean into one element of the message. Um, and so the first one here is uh, to finish this sentence. So you, you got to contribute to this next step here. Uh, being salt in my circle looks like blank, and you got to finish the sentence. And then identify one way you can live out what you wrote. And our team added wrote here because I forgot that when I made these slides earlier this week. And so when you think about salt, again, you're thinking about that thing that stands out. It could be that that place where you stand out because of your refusal to compromise, that place where you stand out because of your commitments, that place where you're verbally, um, you know, speaking the truth, holding to the truth. And so being in your circle looks like salt in this way. And then go, man, this is one way I can live that out. Here's how I'm going to do that in my circle of influence with the people that I know, with the people that I love, people that I'm close to, people God's put me around. You know, what is, how am I going to be salt, basically? And then the next one, number two, uh, similar, being uh, 
being let's go number two being light in my circle looks like blank and identify one way you can live out what you wrote so light uh, stands out in the darkness it just by being there transforms the darkness it's that part of our faith where we are an example um, and our actions speak uh, in some ways louder than words so what does it mean to be a light where you are and, and then how can you live that out on a daily basis you know here's here's that way I could do that. And here's how I'm going to do that. And so we would encourage you to get real specific on what being salt and light looks like where you are and how you're going to do that. And then number three, uh, prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to show you the place where your internal transformation needs to continue and tell someone what you hear. So if God is more concerned with the heart than the outward appearance, if he's concerned with this internal transformation as opposed to this external behavior modification, if God's at work transforming your heart, then then where is the place in your heart that God has been working and you've been resisting? Where's that place where you've, ah, you can get all that stuff, Jesus, but not here. Mm. And, and often what happens is there's an area of our external behavior that isn't aligned with our faith, that doesn't honor Christ. And it's because there's a place internally we've been holding on to and resisting the work of Christ there. So where is that place that God's transformation needs to continue to occur and tell someone about it so that they can encourage you, support you, hold you accountable? So. Well, thank you for those, those. Are the next steps. Appreciate those those three, um, and then here here we have some questions coming in. We often talk about salt and light in terms of persecution. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this message in the light of change in our changing circumstances in our country? Yeah, so I alluded to this in the message. You know, I think that there are places in our world that seem to be getting darker places that seem to be getting harder, places that seem to uh, be decaying. Um, and that is the reality of a sinful, broken world. That's the reality of the time that God has mm-hmm. chosen in his providence to put us in. in. In America, I think one of the challenges is that there are certain things that we maybe are losing or have lost. And the confusion is, is this persecution or is it a loss of privilege? And for many of us who've not known anything other than that, we may feel like it's persecution. But I wonder if we brought in somebody from another country, somebody that's not in a country that that maybe has faith as part of the story at all, or maybe that's been antagonistic to faith from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What would they say? Mm. Is this persecution or is this privilege? And I think the temptation is that, that we need to recognize the places where we really are persecuted and go, how do I be salt and light there? And then the places where it's privilege go, that's what God allowed. That was a gift. Um, but the, the life of the follower of Jesus has never been privileged. Paul, both of us have already voted this year. I saw you post your post. You saw my post. We were talking about it. Yep. Um, and, uh, and voting is a privilege. In the day of Jesus, you didn't vote because Caesar didn't really give votes. And so faith was possible and the church flourished when that wasn't present with that privilege. And then persecution came and the church continued to flourish. So I would just encourage us to make sure that we're uh, clear. Is it privilege loss or persecution? And let's learn from the church abroad. So many of the places where the church is thriving are places where persecution has happened or is happening. And so persecution doesn't mean the church is over and done. Sometimes it means the best days are ahead. That's so good. Uh, another question that we have coming in here this morning, um, if I've become salty in this COVID political world, what can I do now? Oh, it's a great question, and it's totally understandable. So uh, a, a few steps. The first one is that's between you and God. 
And so I would encourage you to take that to God. Uh, our, our God is a God who doesn't want us to not step into his presence, but come in with confidence. And he promises that he will deliver us the mercy and the grace that we need when we need it. That's Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. And so that begins with taking it to God, acknowledging that, being repentant over that, experiencing God's forgiveness. Paul, one of the things I've seen as a pastor is that sometimes people have an easier time forgiving others or even saying God can forgive me than they can forgiving themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're our own worst critic and we put ourselves through things that even God isn't doing. And so it's embracing the forgiveness of God. And then it's going, what is the path forward for me when it comes to wisdom? I know friends right now on social media, they're on a break until the election is over. They just go, it's like, uh, it's just too dangerous for me. I, I can't control myself. And so maybe for you, it's going, hey, I'm going to put a pause on my life online for two weeks or a month. For others, it's going, I, I need to create a gap. So um, I'm not going to hit send because I can hit send faster than I can think, should I hit send? And so they're, they're, they're going, okay, I'm going to sit on that for a night or half a day, or I'm going to send what I'm going to post to somebody and go, do you think this is too salty? Mm -hmm. Or, and this even happened in one of our services that we heard, somebody shared a message and said, hey, would you hold me accountable for what I post? That's a, that's a huge step. If you see something that I post that you think is salty, say something. Mm -hmm. And all of those are ways to move forward with that. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not surprised that somebody said, hey, I think I've been, been too salty what I do. But you don't have to stay there. That's yep. the main thing. Yep, yep. I just love how our viewers um, in, our, in our community tie things together from, uh -huh. from, from week to week. Uh, here's a question coming in. Uh, Scott, living in the light is about replacing the, fl the, by replacing the flicker and whimsical with the mindset based on God's truth. This ties back to the last sermon series. Yeah, I, mean, I think there are some places where when we meditate and marinate on the truth and our mind is set on who God says we are, mm and how he's calling us to live, that is the, the pathway to embracing being salt and being light. And, and we're not trying to do this in our own power and strength. It's not like I have to will myself to be salt. Jesus says, I am salt. Yes. I don't have to will myself to be light. He says, when you're my new creation, you are light. But it's learning to believe those identities, mm -hmm. learning to meditate on the truth of who God says I am, that then leads me into that path of, of new action. So I love how people are connecting the two. Mm -hmm. um, there is a ton of carryover from mastermind to what if Jesus was serious. Yeah.